You are listening to the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center's Pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. Go with me to Hebrews chapter 7. We're going to start by reading verses 20 through 22. Hebrews 7, 20 through 22. And it says in here, And inasmuch as he was not made priest without an oath, but they have become priests without an oath, but he with an oath, by him who said to him, The Lord has sworn and will not relent. You are a priest forever, according to the order of Melchizedek. By so much more, Jesus has become a surety of a better covenant. Father, I thank you for your covenant. And as we get ready to talk about, as we get ready to dive into, as we get ready to learn, to, to, to gain an understanding, we ask that you bring revelation to us about our covenant. Everything that you have provided for us, and we will look to your word, to your logos, to your written word, and we ask that you bring revelation of that word to us so that we can be understand to be doers of the word, and we'll give you the praise, honor, and glory for it in Jesus' mighty name. And I think covenant is so important to us, but we talk very little about it. You don't hear a lot about covenant in our society, in America. We don't talk a lot about covenant. So I thought it'd be good if we started by talking about what is a covenant. So let's start by seeing what Merriam-Webster says a covenant is. A formal binding agreement a written agreement or promise, usually under seal between two or more parties, especially for the performance of some action to promise by a covenant. But see, I think a covenant, a biblical covenant, is much more serious than just an agreement. Much more serious than just a promise. In fact, as a covenant is the most serious form of agreement. It is not only constructed by its written terms, but equally important is the integrity of the individuals that back it up. See, a covenant is not based just upon a written document, a promise, uh, an agreement. It also includes the integrity, the truthfulness, the willingness to fulfill the terms of the individual or individuals involved in a covenant. So, in my opinion, biblically, it goes much farther than just a contract, a constructed document. I mean, we can see this. We can take the marriage covenant, the way God constructed it to be. You know, now, I'm not talking about the, the, the civil union created by the state that we now call marriage. I'm talking about the marriage covenant. But see, in our society now, we look at this thing we call marriage, and we look at it as a civil union. We go down and get a marriage license. We get a grant from the state, which you know you're not required to have to be married. A church can marry you without a marriage license. We don't need consent of the state because marriage wasn't created by the state. They can't interrupt our 
First Amendment protections. Let's remember when we were studying about the political and we talked about the constitutional provisions, the, 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 right, the reason why uh, we are given the freedom of religion is so we could have the freedom from oppression for the state to interfere in our religious activity. So I'm not talking about a civil union that is the construct of the state that we call marriage. See, it's the, the reason it's so easy for people you know, to get a divorce is because to most people, it's just a governmental piece of paper based upon the laws of the state. How many times have I heard people say that? Well, why do we need to go get married? It's just a piece of paper because, see, the marriage covenant isn't taken seriously anymore. It's become a construct of the state. It's just a piece of paper. It gives you rights to insurance. It gives you rights to inheritance. It gives you rights to civil uh, you know, items. But we don't look at it from the construct of God as a covenant. So let's look at what the Bible says. Go with me to Matthew chapter 19, and we're going to read verses 3 through 8. Matthew 19, 3 through 8. The Pharisees also came to him, Jesus, testing him. And saying to him, Is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just any reason? Well, it's interesting that they didn't come to him and said, Is it just for a wife to divorce a husband for any reason? So what they were really asking Jesus is, Is it okay for man to break covenant with his wife? Would that be okay? And Jesus answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason, a man shall leave his father and his mother and be joined to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. So they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore, what God has joined together, let no man separate. See, this is what we, we, we look at here, covenant before the fall of man. Because, see, God never designed the marriage covenant to be broken. He designed covenants to last forever. Covenants are something that do not have an end because somebody gets mad. Verse 7, and they said to him, why then did Moses command to give a certificate? Hey, we've got Moses, Jesus, you know, so why did Moses, the great prophet, give us the command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? And Jesus said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wife. But from the beginning, it was not so. See, covenants are not intended to be broken. Covenants unify you with the person or persons you are in covenant with. When you get into covenant with somebody, the two literally become one. Your desires, your outcomes, the provisions... I mean, if I get into covenant with Eugene, let's just say in some kind of monetary thing, whatever happens in that monetary agreement is 100% my responsibility and 100% his responsibility. 
See, covenant isn't 50-50. Covenant is 100% everybody. So Jesus said, because of the hardness of your hearts. And there are instances, just to throw this in, I'm not talking about divorce today, but there are instances where I do support divorce. I don't think anybody should stay in divorce where there's abuse. I don't think if your spouse is out sleeping around with everybody, you have a right, an obligation to bring that sickness, that disease, and that contempt into the, the marriage. But that goes right back to what Moses said. Because of the hardness of somebody's heart in that relationship, Moses became not God's plan, but an acceptable way to stop the evil. And you know, all those situations could be reconciled if the parties chose to. I'm not saying they have to. But let me tell you, if a, a wife is beating a husband or a husband's beating a wife, that, could be, that can stop. And the two can fix that issue. If they both get born again, they've got Christ now on the inside of them, and, and they can deal with that situation. Because now all things have become new. There is hope. But I would never ask somebody to sit in a situation like that. But covenants were not designed to be broken. Covenant is not just a contract. Covenant is not just a contract. See, contracts are based upon people. Contracts are based upon governments. Contracts are based upon laws. And the laws that existed at the time of their drafting. So covenants are not contracts. I mean... If I go to Frank and I say, Frank, our families are going to be in covenant. Whatever my family has is yours. Whatever your family has is mine. Anybody comes against you, they're coming against me. That's covenant, right? If anybody tries to do anything to Frank, they're doing it to me. Anybody tries to do anything to me, they're doing it to Frank. And so covenant is not a contract. Because if we're, if we're in a contract, and this happens, I, I hear this quite often means that, you know, when I'm doing, you know, either business consulting or I've done pastoral counseling, well, we were, in, we're, we're, we're partners in this thing. We've got a contract. We've got an agreement, but they're not doing their share. They're not doing this. They're not doing that. What do I do? Well, see, you're not in covenant. See, if you were in covenant, there would never be a question here, but, but you're in contract. And so the only way to deal with a contract is to break the contract. You've got to divorce the contract. You've got to separate it. But covenants were not made, made to be separated. So a contract, I mean, just think about it. If, uh, you know, if, if Pastor Thor and I got into a, an agreement in Mexico, under the laws of Mexico, I can't come here and expect the United States laws to cover that contract. See, contracts are flimsy because they're, they're based upon the laws. And a contract in Mexico is going to be different than a contract in Romania. There's not, nothing foundational upon them. It's based upon those, the laws of those countries or the constitutions of those countries. See, contracts are based upon you know, those constitutions. And did you know that the average constitution that a country has is 17 years. 17 years. Many countries go through constitutions because of upheaval, turnover. 
especially socialist societies, because socialism comes so bad, people rise up, they take over the government, and now there's a new constitution in place. France just changes their constitution because they got nothing better to do. You know, it's, it's like the, the old lawyer joke, or, uh, the, the library joke, where somebody went into the library and says, I want to get a copy of the Fran French constitution. And they said, in this library, we don't have periodicals. You know, I mean, literally. So, see, contracts are based upon a set of rules or laws. But covenants are not. On average, a constitution lasts 17 years. That's statistic. I've seen it several other places. But this case, I got it from the University of Chicago Law School. On average, 17 years. The United States is in its 244th year as a nation. It's in its 231st year with a constitution. Constitution was approved September 17th, 1787, and adopted and ratified June 21st, 1788. 231 years ago, we have been, we have been living with a constitution. It is the longest a constitution has, has lasted of any major uh, people in history. That's what makes the United States Constitution so great and such an uh, you know, incredible document because it was divinely inspired. You know, as I was studying and I have been uh, you know, preparing for when we were talking about the political things, did you know the first part of the Declaration of Independence before they get to the grievances? All of those parts, all of the, all of the things that, that um, men are created equal, endowed from their creator, and have such unalienable rights, every one of those phrases and lines came out of a sermon preached by a minister in the 1700s. From a minister. Our Declaration of Independence. Our country has a different beginning, and therefore it has a different ending. Why do you think the enemy is working so hard to get rid of, to change the constitutional system of representative republic that we have? Trying to destroy it. They want to get, they want to get rid of the electoral college so they can have a pure democracy. We are not a democracy. Democracies change their constitution every 17 years. That means in my lifetime, we would have already had four to five different constitutions just in my lifetime. See, America is different. But contracts are still based upon constitutions. Every contract that is written in the United States is subject to our constitution. Did you know that? That's why contracts generally can be subject to this thing called bankruptcy, because it's a constitutional provision. Article 1, Section 8, Clause 4 of the U.S. Constitution, ratified in USC 11. Bankruptcies. People tell me, oh my goodness, bankruptcy is the worst thing you can do. Well, did you know every contract that you have, whether you bought a boat, whether you bought a motorhome, whether you bought a house, whether you took out a personal loan from a bank, every one of those contracts, though it doesn't have one word about it in it, is subject to the United States bankruptcy provision. And they can't make you waive it because it's a constitutional right. And that's why 
when, when our founders, using the wisdom of the Bible, set up our system, they, didn't, they, they don't allow debtor prisons. There are no debtor prisons. They, did, they, they based it on a year of jubilee principle. Every seven years, I think now it's ten, but at one time, seven years for bankruptcy uh, before you could file another one. It was meant to keep people from, who made a mistake or multiple mistakes over a period of their lifetime, whether personally or in business, from being bound to obligations that they couldn't meet and that would keep them destitute financially. So even though your contract doesn't say it, see, and I dealt with this, you know, obviously, you know, I was one of the top real estate agents dealing with short sales and foreclosures back in 2008, back in, in that time period, you know, when everything was falling apart. And people would come to me and say, man, I really believe that this was God's gift to us. I can't, you know, we don't understand why this is happening. Why are we losing our home? God doesn't like bankruptcy. We're going to have to do this. We're going to have to do that. And, and sometimes I just have to say, oh, wait, wait a minute. Wait a minute. God created the year of Jubilee. He understands that people make mistakes. And he's the God of new beginnings. He's the God of fresh starts. You know, just because you lost your home, just because you had to file bankruptcy, isn't the end. It's a chance for a new beginning. And there's nothing for you to be guilt. There is no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus, who live according to the Spirit and not according to the law. So this is something you're just going to have to get over, because it's your pride and it's your flesh that is keeping you in bondage. When the bank got into contract with you. See, they didn't get into covenant with you. When the bank got into contract with you, they knew that this was a possibility. And it says it right in the contract. It says, if you cannot make your payments, we are going to take your house. But they also knew that the unwritten provision was, and if we take your house and you can't afford to make the payments, we may be seeing a, a bankruptcy stay. It's part of the contract. So all contracts are based upon that. The only problem with that is that doesn't give us great assurance. So Eugene and I go back into business again, and one day I say, Eugene, we owe a million bucks. I'm filing bankruptcy. Now the million's yours. I have no longer have an obligation to it. See, under covenant, I couldn't do that. But under contract, I can. Under agreement, I can. Under my promise, I can. But not under covenant. Under covenant, there is no bankruptcy. The two of us are agreeing it's set. It's stable. All right, we also find, we find that principle in Amos 3.3. In Amos 3.3, it says, Can two walk together unless they're agreed? See, covenant requires agreement. Contract doesn't. The principle of God is if we're going to walk together, if Frank's family and my family are going to walk together, we have to have agreement. We have to be unified. Same thing with a husband and wife. I didn't say you always have to agree, but I say you have to be in agreement. I'm glad we don't always have to agree because, man, we, we, we would be on the outs. You know what I mean? Two very strong personalities. <laughs> yeah. Two very strong personalities. But we have to come to agreement because we're in covenant. And we're going to continue to walk together. And covenant requires agreement you know just when i'm talking i was talking about the constitution you know and this is one of the reasons why when the founders came together and had agreement 
why made our Constitution so strong. It's one of the, it is why the United States of America has been so divinely blessed. You know, in our history as believers, and our history as Americans is based upon a divinely derived covenant with Yahweh. That's why this nation has been so blessed. That's why uh, we are so blessed as believers is because our foundation is established upon a divinely connected covenant with Yahweh. And it's because of that that we're going to look at the biblical covenant provisions by looking at the biblical covenant maker. We need to look at God. We need to see who this foundation is, who it is that brings agreement, who it is that establishes unity, who it is, who, who is this? So I wrote this to myself, this note. He, God, is serious in covenant making and backs it up upon his integrity. See, that's, remember, that's the difference between a contract and covenant. Contract is just written words, but covenant requires the integrity of the parties involved in the agreement. And trust me, God has lots of integrity. So go with me now to Genesis chapter 9. I'm going to read verses 8 through 11. Genesis 9, 8 through 11. It says, And God spoke to Noah and to his sons with him, saying, And as for me, behold, I establish my covenant with you and with your descendants after you. Now notice here that God didn't say, Noah, would you get into covenant with me? No, God, God said, no. Hey, Noah, I'm, based upon me, I'm establishing my covenant again with you, the covenant that I had with Adam. I am establishing that covenant with you based upon God and his integrity. So Noah's integrity didn't come into play in this covenant. It's a good thing because God had lots of integrity. He says, I establish my covenant with you and your descendants after you and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the cattle, the beasts of the earth with you. Of all that go out of the ark, every beast on the earth, thus I establish my covenant with you. Never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood. Never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth. God said, Noah, not only am I establishing my covenant with you, I'm establishing it with your descendants and every living thing on the earth. It's established because I have integrity. I designed it. I established it. And it won't fail because it's based on me. That's covenant. That's covenant. God establishes unilateral beneficial covenants. What does that mean? God is bound to performance of his covenant by his word. Someone once said, you can't make God do anything. Well, that's true. I can't make God do anything, but God has established a covenant that he cannot go back on and he cannot relent from. So I don't have to make God do anything. He has already established what he will do. He has already told me what he will do. Mankind is free to covenant with God or not. Right? That's salvation. We can enter into a covenant with God or not. Those who covenant with God by obedience are open to his and to the covenant's 
promise. Galatians 6, 7 says, whatever you put into it, you get out of it. John 14, 18 says, keep my commandments. That's what Jesus told his disciple. Keep my commandments. And in Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 2, and I'm going to read this and we'll close for today and pick this up again. Deuteronomy 28, 1 through 2. Now it shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. Now, see, that's the biggest problem with most people with God's covenant. They don't diligently obey the voice of the Lord God. They want God's covenant blessings any old way they live, any old way they act, any old thing they do. You know, I, I mean, sometimes it, 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 it's hard, but, you know, sorrow doesn't move God. Faith moves God. God is a God of faith. Verse 2, and then all of these blessings shall come upon you and overtake you because you obey the voice of the Lord your God. Saul lost the kingdom for lack of obedience. Obedience is better than sacrifice. God said, it's really easy. I got 12 more verses of blessings how I'm going to prosper you, overtake you, heal you, keep you, uh, give you everything that, that you need, everything that you need for life and godliness, 12 more verses of that. All you have to do is be obedient to, to the word, to the, the, the terms of the covenant. You be obedient, and, and it will come to pass. Why? Because it's established upon me. It's established upon my integrity. It's established upon my word. And then we'll talk about that establishment in the coming weeks. Father, we thank you for your covenant. We thank you, Lord, that it is based upon you. We thank you, Lord, for all of the blessings, all of the provisions, all of the goodness that you've poured into our lives. And Father, we thank you for it, because in it, you gave us everything we need to reach this world with the good news of Jesus Christ. We give you the praise, honor, and glory. And everybody said, Amen. Amen. You have been listening to a recording from the teaching ministry of Valor Christian Center with senior pastors Scott and Tina Whitwam. If you have never received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I invite you to pray this simple prayer with me now. Jesus, according to Romans 10.9, your word says, If I confess you as Lord and Savior and believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead, that you would come into my heart and I would be saved. I now confess and believe that you are my Lord and Savior. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. If you prayed that prayer with me, please contact our office so that we may rejoice together with you. Call Valor Christian Center at 480-545-4321. That's 480-545-4321. 4321 or by email at info at valorcc.com. That's info at or by mail to the church address at 3015 East Warner Road, Gilbert, Arizona, 85296.